This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. I do it because I think of the events in my life, I think this is what I was meant to do. And there's a long story, it's probably worth telling, you know, about how it all all came to pass, but uh, I just, it's Hotel Earth. It's Hotel Earth. We're not here long. And I just, when Satan gets up in the morning with his little minions and he gets to my name on the list, I don't want him checking the box that says not a threat. I want him thinking he's up again and 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 not happy about it. And I just want to make a difference. It's just, we go through this life, you got to do something. I just think that's the most important thing we can do is have an impact on people's lives. And what greater impact on someone's life than to show them the love of Christ and to help them make a decision that, you know, this is how it happens. That's living. <laughs> that's, that's living. <laughs> For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. We're here today to both love and serve a widow named Sharon. And we're also here today to raise awareness for and support for uh, the adoption of our son, Saj, who is right now in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We've wanted to adopt for a long time, and I feel like it's just been small steps of God just opening doors and leading us that direction. We love that verse in James that talks about caring for the widow and the orphan, and when we came across the Both Hands Project, we just felt like it was perfect. One of the things that we're super excited about is to bring Sajess not just into our family, but into this community and this church of people who would come out and do something like this today. We just have been so blessed to get to be a part of it, and we're so excited to introduce him to all of our friends and family in our church here in Fort Wayne. It's been amazing for us to see how these two stories have come together and the story of a widow who has experienced this tragedy with the loss of her son in the garage and then with the loss of her husband and then what she's walked through over the last couple of years and then also the story of our son who's right now uh, just waiting and waiting for a family and a church and a community to be a part of and how these two stories have come together with both hands. I feel great. I can't imagine somebody coming and doing this for me. There was tons of people working in the front yard, digging up weeds, putting out mulch, fresh flowers, pulled weeds, pulled up landscaping, power wash the deck, painting the swing. Even children were doing this. And then to come out back, and there's that many more people out here tearing apart the broken porch, pulling stuff out the driveway. This driveway was full of stuff that was in this garage. This is my brother's that we never had the nerve to do yet. And they brought it to us so we could. This dear lady had not been in this garage since her son's death. In the end, little children were coming up to our mom with gift cards for groceries, stickers that they've made for her. I think this experience has changed my life in the sense that every time I look into Saja's eyes, when we bring him home, I'm going to be remembering that it took this big family of people to bring him here. And how loved we feel by that and how we just have an amazing story to tell him about how, how loved he is. With the light to 
a day that I will ever forget. I know that. I just couldn't believe all the people here. <laughs> and I thought, gee, <laughs> God really loves me, I guess. <laughs> I just couldn't hardly believe it. With the light to carry on. Today is a new beginning. And it doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's doable. You look at society and what society has come to, and how many people don't do things for one another, and then you see this amazing group of people that showed up here today to do these things for my mom. I'm really thankful for everything. Welcome back to the broadcast. We continue today with part two of J.T. Olson. So, J.T., we've just heard and uh, not seen some images mm -hmm. from one of these projects. You know, we're in a Western culture. We're you know, driven by bigger, better, newer, more. Um, and nothing wrong with that. It's not evil. It's not bad. But something happened. And, and you're a corporate guy. You've come out of this. You know what it's like. Uh, what switched in your head and heart that said, you know, I could do bigger, better, newer, more rest of my life. I mean, Sarah had to go back to work. Not everybody wants to do that. Something switched in you guys that said, okay, Lord, we want to be used in a different way. Yeah, I think it was, um, I, I just, I wasn't, I, I, hit, I did, was a recruiter for 10 years. I wasn't enjoying it. It didn't come anywhere close to fulfilling me the way being a sales manager and working with young college students fulfilled me. Working with young college students, that fulfilled me because I had an impact on their life. And I did because I did it with my heart because the fact is it impacted me. And I knew if, if I could help students learn what I learned, but I never got that when I was in the, you know, running the recruiting world. And it just mm -hmm. wasn't, it just didn't fire me up as much. But when we did a couple of these projects, I still have the company going, but I just, on the weekend we did these, all of a sudden I thought, ooh, this is a familiar feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I like this. <laughs> and, uh, and it just and, and and probably another thing that happened somewhere in there. I remember it was 2001 at fellow at our church. We were doing the thing that you know less under our tree, more under the world's tree. And that year they sent out a video that let us all watch a video. It was on Sudan. And I remember we watched that video. The whole thing was to we're going to take up a collection that's going to go to Sudan and some of our world partners. Well, we're watching this video on Sudan with our four kids, and and it was touching and it was we, we watched the whole thing not just the part just for the kids and it was those things where the you know the man says you know by the time you get this video i mean honestly some of these kids aren't going to be alive mm -hmm. because of the hunger and because of what's suffering and some of the other stuff when we watched that video when it was over my i believe he was four or five yeah he was five years old son max he looked and he, he just tears in his eyes he says you mean these kids their mom and dad aren't alive and some of them were killed because they believed in Jesus and he said yeah he said well we could be their mom and dad couldn't we and we thought well you know it's like okay let's everyone get ready for bed now <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those moments but they had been talking about all that Sarah and the kids have been talking about adoption I've been on the board of Bethany Christian Services and and I would come home from a meeting sometimes, and I'd say, hey, there's a pair of twins in the ECU or the natal, prenatal care mm -hmm. thing down at the hospital. And she's, oh, let's go see him. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't say, I just, I'm just telling you about it. I'm not saying we're going to die. It's not puppies, right? Yeah. I said, and, and at one point my wife said to me, Ooh. she said, listen, 
I'm happy with four kids. I'm happy the rest of my life with four kids. I can easily love another child. I can take both of them, one or the other. But what I can't take is the up and down roller coaster ride I'm getting from you. Mm-hmm. So unless you, okay. until you decide you're on board, don't talk to me about kids that are available for adoption. Because the four of us, me and the four kids, we're on board. Whoa. You're the one we're waiting on. And see, the deal was <laughs> don't <you love> it? <laughs> don't you love it? the deal was I was you know we had just started this business a couple years earlier. We really weren't even taking salaries at that point i mean it was everything was going down and i told sarah i said we can't adopt because it would it would take a life savings we'd have to go in we'd have to go into our life savings to get the money to do that and when we saw that video it made sense and then i remember it was christmas eve 2001 and my wife sent me upstairs to get the stockings to be hung by the chimney with care and i went up to get them and i looked around our attic and I saw strollers and high chairs and cribs, and I thought to myself, we've got everything we need. Mm. It's not like we've got to invest in a bunch of equipment. And I went down the stairs. I saw Sarah on the way up, and I looked at her, and I said, Sarah, we got strollers, we got cribs, we got high chairs, we got car seats. And she thought I was going to say, it's time for a yard sale. <laughs> Let's get rid of it. But what, I, what hit me was I said, we've got everything we need, so what's wrong with using a life savings to save a life? For me, that was a watershed moment because mm. that's when it made sense what what rust what rusts mm. and what doesn't rust, and I don't and, and money rusts, and there are days since we started this. I tell you, Michael, I wish we had some more money. <laughs> <laughs> I like some of that rust, yeah. <clears throat> but the fact is, I wouldn't trade the last six years for anything. I haven't had a bad day of work in six years because it's just doing something that makes a difference and i think this is what i was made for now now gracie is uh, out there somewhere behind the glass and how old is gracie she's 12 she's 12 years old yeah she's 12 and we got her when she was 18 months and i remember that that was that was and we, we were so lucky we were, we got to go to china we were like the first or second group in after the sars epidemic in 2003 and because of that, everything was really inexpensive. I mean, hotels, everything was ex- inexpensive. And plus, we had some friends helping us. Someone donated a bunch of miles. We were able to take all four kids to China with us. I did not know that the part. The chance wow. of a, the wow. trip of a lifetime to get their little sister and to see the Great Wall, to see Beijing, to see China. But what a time. Wow. And a beautiful little girl that she is. And coming into teen years. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> Let's talk about two things. Um, one, um, you and I are both adoptive parents. Um, adoption isn't all romance. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Strap down, yeah, baby. <laughs> well, one of my concerns for the Christian community, uh, JT, is that um, you know this, uh, don't mean it condescendingly, these are not puppies. You know, we're not adopting a, a, someone that needs a good home nonsense. Um, Cindy has an answer for this when people ask, but I'd be curious when, when someone asks you and Sarah, um, should we adopt? What do you tell them? So I don't know. It depends on, (laughs) (laughs) I I really, I don't, I don't blankly think everyone should adopt. I don't think everyone should adopt, but everyone should help with orphans. I mean, we're all called to do that. That's pretty clear. Uh, but different people, not everyone's equipped to be 
an adoptive parent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some, especially going to the foster care system, there's some tough situations out there that need some pe- folks who are capable of giving special love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everyone's equipped for that. And we use the term now forever family is sort of, you know, to explain this, but once you adopt that son or daughter, um, they are yours for the rest of their life, your life, as long as you live, and you will care for them in thick and thin and up and down and in and out. And it will not always be easy and it will not be romantic. Pass about the first baby year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the first year we had Gracie, the first six to eight months were really, really hard. Really hard. A lot of. Uh, attachment disorder stuff and just things that we learned a lot about and and uh, so that's I say it's it's not a it's yeah. not a walk in the park yeah and our three are essentially adults and um, you know it, it's an ongoing issue even as adults they're still finding their way and as a parent you feel uh, completely incapable of uh, saying hey I, I I'm here I love you I will always be here to love you I'll always be here to help you but this is your journey too mm-hmm. and yeah. um, how, how do you coach uh, couples and maybe even widows when they're not real clear on this gospel thing? What do you tell them about Christ and what that means, whether it's helping an orphan, helping a couple adopt, or helping a widow? You know, it's it's funny. I don't have to have that conversation very often because most people, by the time they get to both hands, by the time they get to filling out an application, they get it. They they see it and they go, oh, man, this is – that's one of the reasons they like it because they're looking for something. You know, and you always go to these conferences and they all talk about the orphan and they use James one twenty seven and talk about the widow and the orphan and it's all about orphan conference. No one talks about widows that much. And it's one thing I've learned in our churches today. A lot of churches probably don't know how many widows are in their congregation they know how many kids went to Sunday school that Sunday. They know how many people went to church. They probably know how much was in the offering. But if you ask them how many widows do you have, a lot of them don't know, which is an indication to me that maybe we're not taking care of widows as much as we should. And so what I've learned in this is that when the people come to me and they're – I do talk to them about that. I say, you know, not, not everyone's going to understand this when you talk to them about, well, I want you to add, write letters and try and get sponsorships for this and, and talk about – how it all works. And I just tell them, you know, if someone understands James 127, that we're supposed to call care for widows and orphans, they'll get it. If they say, well, I'll work on the house, but I don't want to send letters asking for money. I say, well, you know, maybe they don't quite understand it. Or find another way to do it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's that. Yeah. Now, you and I have lived long enough to have a lot of, a lot of pain, yeah. A lot of disappointments, a lot of mm-hmm. discouragements. Things did not go the way we want them. Pain in J.T. Olson's life and uh, how it works. Well, when I think about when I think about pain, I mean, I, and when I think about both hands, and I think about where God has me on this journey, when I think about how sometimes in life, you know, things happen to us and it doesn't make any sense. And it's almost like we have to look at the back side of a uh, tapestry. But at some point, every once in a while, you get a glimpse of the front side of the tapestry, and you go, oh, I get it. That's why that makes sense. And I remember, for me, both hands started when I, I was 12 years old. I was, lived on a farm in northeastern Iowa. And my uh, mom and dad, we had there's five of us kids. And uh, one weekend in particular stands out. They left for their celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And I remember Saturday night, we were all being brought home, you know, because they were coming home that night. And 
and I was excited to see him because I remember the last last exchange I had with my dad was one of anger because he wouldn't give me a ride to the bus. And uh, <laughs> the bus was about a half mile away. So I, I, you know, I said, come on, give me a ride. He said, no, you'll make it. Keep get going, you know. And I said, bye, you know. And uh, so I was excited to see him. And I remember going down the basement, unlacing my boots. And my older brother came down the stairs. And I looked up at him. I said, are mom and dad home? And he looked at me and he said, Mom and Dad are dead. I said, what? He said, Mom and Dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. And I just remember that feeling. And I, and it was, it's hard to describe. It's not the kind of thing that happens to most people. But it's like everything that you think you had that keeps you tethered in life is all of a sudden snipped away. And I, I mean, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to wonder who's going to take care of us. Um, I know what it's like to wonder, are we all going to stay together? I know what it's like to wake up the next morning and wonder, was that all a dream? You know, for the first 30 seconds, think it was all a dream. dream. But after 30 seconds, you realize, no, this is real. And uh, just, the, you know, the three or four days that everyone's there at the house and just, you know, taking care of you and loving on you, but... Boy, after a while, their life goes back to normal, but you're still wondering who's going to take care of us. Mm-hmm. So I know what it's like to be an orphan, but I, I know what it's like to be rescued because three months before this accident, my aunt and uncle and my mom and dad had this agreement that if anything would happen to one of the couples, the other one would take them. Well, my aunt and uncle, they were 33 years old at the time. They had three kids of their own. They were just starting a business. All of a sudden, they get five kids. So their family went from a family of five to a family of ten. Wow. Saints. Studs. <laughs> They're seventy nine years old now and enjoying retirement. And um but I mean I know what it's like to be rescued and I and I and I know what it's like to be served because I remember the action happened in March of nineteen sixty nine and I remember the um the, the right away my little sisters were four and five years old at the time of the accident. They moved into Milwaukee. Uh, with in the Milwaukee with my aunt and uncle right away. Us three boys, we were seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. We stayed on the farm because my dad had a brother who he farmed with. So we had and Uncle Clifford. You know, Uncle Clifford was sixty-five years old. Needed the help. He did. I mean, my dad was fifty-nine. You know, so I mean, they were both older brothers. Before my dad got married, he was one of those Norwegian bachelor farmers on the ridge. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but um. I remember so us three boys, we stayed to finish the school year out and to spend the summer there to help Uncle Clifford. But I remember one beautiful April day getting off the bus. And our bus stops about a half mile from the house. You can kind of see down the farm and the land. And I remember getting off the bus one day, and there were all our neighbors in our fields with their tractors and their plows and their discs and their drags planting our crops. I mean, there was Robert Grana, Leland Meyer, Everett Ellison, Ed Cooper, Doc Wyman. I mean, they were there, and they were taking care of the Olson kids. Mm-hmm. And I know what it's like to get your feet washed. I know what it's like to be blessed in a way that there's no way you can repay it. And the people who are giving it don't expect to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get to do with both hands. We get to serve people, and there's... You don't want anything back. You just want to serve them. You want to love them. But when I think about pain, I think about how God can take some something that's painful 
and 30, 40 years later turn into something that's just beautiful. When you talk and you hear the pain, you also hear the joy. Yeah. Two edges, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. It's always two edges when there's pain because if my mom and dad had still be here, I wouldn't have gone to the University of Wisconsin. I would have gone to the University of Iowa probably if I'd even gone to college, you know, and I never would have sold books, never would have met my wife who I met through selling books. There's a whole lot of things. I wouldn't change any of it, but it's painful. JT, there's, <laughs> um, there's a guy listening to you and me right now, and he's, he's a halftime guy. He's done well in his company, his business. Maybe he's 45, maybe he's 50. He's done pretty well with his investments, his portfolio. His Maybe he's got a donor-advised account. Maybe he's pretty well set. He can see the horizon. He's bored at his job. Uh-huh. He's a drone. He's going to midlife. Maybe he's pulled into pornography. Maybe he's distracted by stuff. And he's hearing you talk, and there's something in his throat. Help him. Oh, Figure out what it is that you're passionate about. Find something, but pursue it. Don't stop. Don't delay. Don't don't delay. Go after it. Well, Take I, the plunge. I, I, how can I do it? <laughs> I can't afford it financially. I can't leave the security. Oh man, I you know I have less security than I've ever had, and I've never felt more secure. I, I don't know how to. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, the last seven years have not been easy in a lot of ways and and you feel like I'm the target on my back and there's a lot of spiritual warfare but I still rest I mean I rest and just my yoke is God's <laughs> you know it's not mine he's going to share it and and uh man for that guy I would just say find out what you're passionate about what makes you what makes you tear up what gives you the joy what gives you what makes you feel like god this is life I want to do this and figure out a way to do it. And, and there are a lot of people, not just the man I described, JT, but there are a lot of men and women who are they've hit that flat affect of life. Uh, maybe they know Christ, maybe they don't, but their life's a routine. It, they're drones. They feel it in their soul. It's like the Matrix. They're just part of a machine, and they need to know God could use them. Yeah, I just, you know, like I said before, I haven't had a bad day of work in six years. And when I say it to people, I feel bad because sometimes I say it, I can see that they don't experience that same joy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and and I don't say it to make them jealous. I'm just telling them it's, just, it's possible. Uh, but there's got to be something inside each and every one of us. And it probably involves giving something away. It probably involves making a sea change like I did where I realized, you know, <laughs> It's a life savings to save a life. And what's important in life? Like, you know, you know, like they say, you don't see many U-Hauls behind Hershey's. And you go, you got one chance. This is a hotel earth. Make it count. <laughs> JT Olson, bothhands.org. JT, thanks for the way God's using you. Thanks for helping widows and orphans. Thanks for changing lives. And, you know, in the future, we're going to see a, a new tapestry. Yeah. And yeah. some of those lives were changed because you obeyed God and you said, I got to go do this. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. This is Michael Easley in contact. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontact.com.
follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Evely. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.